know what sleep apnea is? That means I'm zoned out on you folks in a heartbeat this morning. Now I just I don't want to do <laughs> Go to verse 14 now. Hold on, let's go back to the end of verse 13. I want to say something here. It says at the very end of 13, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. You may be glad also with exceeding joy, the scripture says. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. So God, what you're telling me is when I come under attack from the enemy, everything is falling down around me, struggles and trials and everything else in this world, and I'm supposed to be glad and rejoice with exceeding joy? Are you crazy? Do you know my kids? Do you know my life? Do you know my boss? Do you know my job? Do you know my grandkids? Do you know my mother-in-law? She's here today. <laughs> While I'm preaching on this. Why rejoice? Why are we supposed to be joyful? Because we should take solace in the fact that he's attacking because we're in God's will. Because we're living our life according to the promise. We're living our life according to God's will. So rejoice. Rejoice when the attacks come. Why? Because you know that the attacks wouldn't be coming if I wasn't doing something right. If I wasn't walking in his will. If I wasn't obeying his word. If I wasn't obeying the law of his word. If I wasn't living my life for him, the attacks wouldn't be coming. So although I'm miserable in the attacks, I'm joyful in the promise. I'm joyful in the cross because I know where I'm supposed to be with God. Can you say amen? Verse 15 and 16. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's manners. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on his behalf. At the beginning of verse 14, it says, if ye be reproached for the name of Christ. I want to go to that first. Beginning of verse 14, if ye be reproached for the name of Christ. Happy are you. What does reproach mean? Reproach means to be insulted. If you be insulted for the name of Christ, happy are you. Christ was insulted the entire way to the cross. Christ was beaten the entire way to the cross. Christ was mocked the entire way to the cross. And he's saying here now, if you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you. What, well, what kind of insult do we hear all the time? Bible thumper, holy roller, Christian. We get called those things all the time. I remember when I was in high school, and um, I had some friends come to me and say, hey, Cal, man, come here a minute. You know, when I was in high school, I went to church every day. It wasn't until I got out of church and got away from my parents and I backed But when I was in high school, I went to church every day. And, and people come, hey, come man, you go to church? Yeah, what are you, a Christian? Hey, you know, I'm, you know, on the football team, basketball team, baseball team. You know, kind of like Kara back there. I was an all-around athlete before I got fat. And um, <laughs> first words that would always come out of my mouth, I don't know, man, I just know it's my parents. See, I was embarrassed about the reproach for the name of Christ as a teenager. And as I get older, I'm not old, as I get older, it doesn't bother me. You know, yeah, yeah, man, what about it? I mean, you're not a Christian? I'll get right back to them now. But the insults that we receive for the name of Christ shouldn't be something to make us get upset, make us go cower in the corner. But once again, we should be happy. Peter in the garden gets upset because they come and grab Christ and he cuts off the ear of the soldier. He was wrong. He was upset about the reproach. He was upset about what they were doing to Christ, but he was wrong in his actions. For Christ said, Peter, that's not the message that we're here to spread. We're here to spread the message of love. Love your neighbor as thyself. Not cut off his ear, not lash back at him, not holler at him, not turn to their tactics to get your point across. 
And then in 15 and 16, as I read, it talks about murderers. In verse 15, but none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer. What does that mean, Brother Cal? That means this. A murderer, a thief, and an evildoer suffer in their own torment for what they've done. They suffer in their own imprisonment. They suffer for the, for the, the punishment that they're receiving and the, and the attack that comes against them on a daily basis because what they've done in their life. But don't suffer as they do because unless they've turned to the cross, unless they've come to Christ, they're suffering in their own torment. They're suffering in sin. They're suffering in the world. And God's telling us, you who are the blood-bought church of the redeemed, you don't have to suffer the way they do because you're in under the blood of Christ. Your sin has been atoned for. You are under grace. You are under mercy. Don't suffer as they, but be exceedingly glad and joy because you've been redeemed. Now, make no mistake about it, though. That murderer and, and what the other criminals they mentioned here can go to heaven. If they call out to God and ask him to forgive them of their sins. I remember, um, how many remember a guy by the name of Timothy McVeigh? The Oklahoma City bombing. I, and I remember I was stationed in Wichita, Kansas at the time when that happened. And so it was pretty close to home. It was only about an hour and a half away. And I remember he eventually got arrested there shortly after. He was in jail. He was on death row. And about a week before they went and executed him, a minister went in and witnessed him and he gave his heart to Christ. He turned his life over to God and he got saved before his execution. Now, just because he got saved doesn't mean he still didn't have to pay for the crime that he committed. Whereas the Bible says, render under Caesar what is Caesar. All things we do on this earth are still punishable by the law of this earth. But also know this, when he gave his heart to God, as long as he truly gave his heart to God, as the minister testified later, Timothy McVeigh went to heaven when he died. And there was an outrage in Oklahoma City over this. How dare this man of God go in there and tell this person about God so that when he dies, he's not going to hell now. And there were churches that rose up and protested outside this guy's church and came against him as a minister because he led Timothy to make Christ. But show me in the Bible where he wasn't doing what he's supposed to do. Don't get me wrong, especially if it would have been one of my children that died. I probably would have, would have wanted to wring his neck if I would have got in there to witness to him. But the minister did what God told him to do. He gave his heart to Christ, and because it, when he died, he didn't suffer as a murderer. But now he suffers and dies in what? In the joy, knowing that he's going to spend eternity in heaven. And someday, those that are born again believers in Christ that walk through those gates as well may very well be standing next to Timothy and Bay when you're standing before the throne. But I ain't gonna that. I'm gonna tell God he put me at the other side. <laughs> I think so, God. I'll tell you something. <laughs> if that's the way you think you're going to be, you're not going to be there. You're not going to be there. Verse 17. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. We read that again. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? Judgment must begin at the house of God. What is he saying? That's where you got to come to get saved? No, what he's saying there is this. Judgment begins with the believer. Just because you're saved and just because you're born again doesn't mean you've got a free license and a free ticket to live your life the way you want to be. Go out and sin like hell on Monday through Saturday and come to the church on Sunday and give your heart back to Christ and ask him to forgive you and you're good to go. That's a pretender. 
That's what he's talking about. Judgment must begin at the house of God. Why at the house of God? Because it is those believers that sit on the chairs and the pews of the church, universally speaking, that are commissioned to go out and spread the gospel of the news of Christ. And if I can't live my own life right, if I can't come here on Sunday, get right with God, and then live like it Monday through Saturday, who am I to go out and tell others, you better get converted and come to Christ? Because my life is a walking, living testimony of God. When they see me walking down the street and they know I'm a believer, they're going to judge me off of that. And if they see me cussing, smoking, drinking, being a backbiter, a gossiper, a fornicator, whatever it might be, because let me tell you something, the world associates that with sin, whether we think it is or not. Now, I do. I'm going to say whether you think it is or not. The world associates it with that. As the Bible says, abstain from all appearance of evil. Why? Because you ruined your testimony for Christ. If I'm talking to Brother Marty on the job about God, and I see him go out and hop up the cab of the truck, and I'm thinking it's a Red Bull, but it's a Michelob, I'm going to have a hard time believing anything coming out of his mouth as far as spiritually concerned. That's why judgment must begin at the house of God. So that when I go out to tell others about Christ, they can look at me and say, man, I'm going with thank God. She's happy all the time on the job. She walks through the halls of the school with a great attitude. There's just something about that individual. And, and I don't ever see her doing anything wrong. And I go up to her and I'm like, hey, man, what is it that you've got? Because what you got out of her, my name is Jesus. Do I suffer? Do I go through things in my life? Yeah, but you know what? I give it to him because I know that his grace is sufficient for me. And he is faithful and just to forgive me of any sin I might commit. So I know that I can go boldly before the throne of grace and overcome it in my life. You turn with me quickly to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Matthew 7, verse 21. I'm in Matthew 21. I'm probably right with the great big guy over here. Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Now, if you've got a Bible, there's a red letter edition. This is in red letter. Because these are the words of Christ. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto him, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now we're going to go back to 1 Peter 4. But what's so important about this scripture, church? That there's a lot of churches in the world today that are filled up with a whole lot of people that think they're going to heaven and they're going to get to heaven's gates and he's not going to open the door and let them in. Point blank, Christ said it. I didn't get mad at him, not me. I'm just relaying the message. Now, I'm not saying that about all you folks in here. You guys are all right. You sit in this church. That was a joke. You can laugh. <laughs> but those are the words of Christ. There's going to be many. That are going to be, God, I'm here. I'm ready to come in. He's going to say, depart from me. You work for iniquity. You walk in. You look good. You wore a suit. You wore a tie. Your shoes were even polished on Sunday morning. You paid your tithes every single week. You were the loudest singer. You helped with the offering. You helped with communion. You ran the sound booth. You cleaned the church. You cut the grass. You did all this stuff for me. But the one thing thou lackest, my child, the one thing thou lackest in thy life was a personal relationship with the person Jesus Christ. 
When the people at church saw you, you were the greatest Christian in the world. You were John the Baptist reincarnated. But Monday through Saturday, you were hell itself. Your family paid for your actions. On the job, your workers paid for their actions. In the halls of the school, your friends paid for your actions. Do you realize, son, through your actions, how many people turned and never came to know me? Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. Back to that pretending. Now, 1 Peter 4 and 19, and I'm just about to wrap this up. That's short, isn't it? That's short. 1 Peter 4 and 19 says this. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Now we're back to suffering. Now the, verse, now the verses I just read you talked about, how there's going to be many. There's going to be many that are going to come to the door, come to the gates of heaven and not get in. But God's telling us this now. He's going back to the suffering. He's going back to the suffering. He says, why let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him and well doing the key, church, and this whole verse up here are these words right here. According to the will of God. According to the will of God in our lives. Okay? Because when we step out of the will of God, now we open ourselves up for whatever the enemy wants to have. In, in essence, church, you have, as I've, you've heard me talk before, about God's perfect will and God's permissive will. Okay? God's permissive will is when we make our own decisions, and instead of going from point A to point B in a straight line, we look like a, a shoots and ladders game all over the place to get there. But God's perfect will is when we make the decisions, we seek his advice, we seek his countenance, and God tells us, go here, and we go. But the problem in the church today is not, not too many people are operating in God's perfect will. We're operating in permissive will because we don't know the voice of God, because we don't have a relationship with God on a daily basis. We don't go into prayer daily. We don't go into our Bible reading daily. And when God says, hey, Joe, I want you to go here next, we go the opposite direction because we just think that's our conscience telling us to do something and not God. And then when we do it, we see the chaos and the suffering that it brings into our life, we want to come back to God, we want to fall at the altar, we want to blame everybody else. And God's saying, why let them that suffer according to the will of God? Now when you begin to suffer according to the will of God, God gives you that grace to overcome it. You can now go boldly before the throne of grace. And as Paul said, he had, he had a thorn in the flesh, and three times he went to God for it. And God told him all three times, my grace is sufficient for thee. You can overcome it. Why? Because Paul was in the perfect will of God. That's why he could. This whole scripture about suffering and the way Satan attacks us and the way Satan comes against us, you can overcome that very easily when you're in the will of God. But when you're not in the will of God, it becomes harder. It becomes more of a struggle on a daily basis. So what, what is Pastor Cowan saying to you? Begin to ask yourself this question when you begin to suffer on a daily basis. God, am I suffering because I'm outside of your will? Or am I suffering because I'm under an attack of the enemy? Because I am in your will. Well, how do I know the difference, Brother Cowan? There's only one way to know the difference. Praying and communicating with the Father on a daily basis, building up that relationship so that when he talks to you, you know what he's saying, and you get the answer from him. I can't solve your situation. I can't sit there and say, Chris, you're in God's perfect will. I can't say that, because I'm not in his head. I can't say I don't want to be in his head either. 
Trust me, I don't want to. <laughs> but I can't be in Cindy's head. I can't be in Rick's head. I don't know what's going on inside there. There's individuals that many of us know, have known in our life, that sit there, we see them on a daily basis, we think they're the greatest person, we think they're having a great life, life is going fine for them, and then we're shocked and stunned when we hear that they committed suicide. I had no idea anything was wrong with him. Because the world, we, us, have gotten great with masking and hiding our feelings and putting on a face self in the front and never allowing the world to know what's going on inside. But if God's in there, if we're communicating with him on a daily basis, and we know the voice, and he says in his word, my sheep will know my voice, and we know the word of God, and we know his voice, then we can respond in his perfect will, and we really stave off a lot of that stuff that the enemy has, so now those attacks that come through are just those that are trying to stop us in God's will, and God says, hey buddy, I'll give you the grace to overcome that. I've given you the grace through the cross of Calvary, through the blood of my son, to overcome your addiction, to overcome your cancer, to overcome your arthritis, to overcome fornication in your life, or whatever it might be. I've given you the grace that is sufficient through my son to overcome those things. But what happens, and it's so funny, because this wasn't supposed to even be this message, and I was talking to Mark about this last night. It's an entitlement attitude that even the church has had. We like to point our fingers at the world and society and say, oh, everybody wants everything for free. But the church has gotten in the same rut that the world has gotten, and we feel like we have this entitlement to everything in the God's kingdom. And God's saying, hey, man, your salvation is free. Your salvation is free, but you better live a Christ-like walk through the process of sanctification if you want all that I have for you in my kingdom. That's what God's saying. I was at an award ceremony for my son the other day at... Um, the primary school. They had all these kids in there, but they didn't give out that many awards. You know, you go down to Georgia and you go to elementary school, every kid gets an award. You go to T-ball leagues now, every kid gets an award at the end of the season. And, and you know, I, you know, it's great for the little kids that they're all getting an award. But what happens is we're raising up a generation of people in society today that believe they should be honored to get a reward for everything, even if they don't try. And so I'm sitting there and I look at my wife, I said, you know, there's not that many parents here. She goes, well, one of the parents were called whose kids were getting awards. Which, by the way, Brooklyn cleaned up, man. I was like, what, four awards? Out of seven? So, I mean, so, but, so they start calling these kids' names out, and in Elijah's class, only two people got awards, and he was one of them. I, you know, I'm proud of that fact. I didn't treat him like that when he got home. I didn't want him to get big headed. <laughs> Go to your room for getting awards. <laughs> But I asked him, I said, you know, how do you go back and you got your class? And some of the teacher had us, uh, you know, she, she recognized us and everybody. Some of the kids were upset. Some of the kids were crying. They didn't get no more. And I was sitting there thinking about that later on in the day. And I, and I go back to the scripture. I just read Matthew. There's so many of you going to be standing at the gates of heaven and say, God, didn't I do this? Didn't I do that? And he's going to say, depart from me, you work for worker of iniquity. They're not entitled to heaven. The same way those children who didn't receive that award in that class felt they were upset, they were down. Oh man, this, you know, I didn't get an award. But oh, the joy on the faces of those that got an award and got to go up front. They received it where Jeffrey here, one I think you saw on Facebook, cleaned up. Cleaned up, man. And, and I was talking to him about it this morning. And I said, man, save something for everybody else. And God sent me my spirit. said, don't tell that boy that. He said, you know, I talked about three weeks ago about the rewards we receive when we go to heaven. You remember that? The crowns? And I listed them all for you guys. I want everyone I can get. And if you're in school, you should want every award you can get. But let me tell you something even more so. If you're a Christian, a born-again believer, you want to be standing at that gate on that day 
when you come and he'd say, enter in my good and faithful servant, you don't want to be with the rest of the class because you follow the rest of the class and you're turning around and you're heading down the wrong path. And you're looking over your shoulder and you're saying, but God, didn't I do this? God, didn't I do that? And he, you're going, let me tell you something, at that point it's too late. Plead your case to somebody else. It's not a judicial system. It's a dictatorship when you get to there and God is in control. There is no, well, this is so-and-so. Don't you remember when I helped so-and-so out? Yeah, good, great job. Get out of here. You work for iniquity. So the day's going to come when we're all going to stand in that place. We're all going to stand there. We're all going to want to receive our just reward. And nobody else, nobody else can go and plead on your behalf as lawyers of today's system do. Nobody's going to be there to plead on your behalf or on my behalf or on your children's behalf. It's how we parents raise them today and they go out into society. And it's how we live our lives that others on the job and stuff see. That's what we're going to be, that's what we're going to be judged on. Your life, you're going to be judged on. It might be nothing for you to sit there and do something illegal in a back corner where you think nobody sees, but he sees it all. He records it all. And you better get right with God and give it back to him because when you give it to him and you ask for forgiveness, he doesn't keep it on file. He gets rid of it. So you're not judged off that. But the life that we live in Christ today, the life that we're living today, someday is going to be the determining factor whether or not he says, depart from me or come on in. And church, I for one want to be one that says, come on in. And I know there's a lot of people in this room here as well, and I would hope everybody that want to be able to say the same thing. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, that's all saying. That was probably too short, but I'm going to let it slide.